Hey everyone, this book has descriptions of molestation, pregnancy loss such as miscarriage and abortion, and physical and sexual violence against women and other people. If you're sensitive to these things, please either skip this episode or skip over those parts. Take care of yourself. Hey, this is Shay. This is April. And this is the Bitch Moms Book Club. A podcast about moms, motherhood, and parenting as portrayed in literature. Disclaimer, we're not above swearing or discussing graphic themes and content. So if you're sensitive to that or you have your kids or mother-in-law in the car with you, this might not be the podcast for you right now. How are you today, Shay? Uh, tired. It's, I've, I woke up to pee at four and then get back to sleep, so... At all? No. I have a really hard time getting back to sleep when I get woken up. Oh, I have to do it all the time because I have a dog and kids. And so I want to start with my bitch in peace. Can I just tell you about adulting? So my husband this last weekend fixed our dishwasher. So he has this magical ability where he cares enough to like go on YouTube and learn how to fix something. And I'm like, just call somebody. So anyway, um, in my life, that was just called poverty. <laughs> I think it was growing that up for him too. Was poverty. <laughs> what a magical superpower! Whoa. Um, <laughs> and and I was just like, I don't know, just get a new one. I don't care. It hasn't been heating for and drying for like a couple months. And I'm like, I don't know. We just need a new one. And he's like, No, I can fix it. So he looks it all up and he fixes it, and. And as I'm like learning how to do things, I realize there are two filters in my dishwasher. Two. And there's an air filter. And then Shay, you informed me this morning that there's not only a filter in both of those, but there's also one in my ice maker and my um, washing machine and many other things. So I am going to have to, uh, I just... I have to figure out how to clean out all those filters so everything lasts longer because nobody has money to replace all of those things. Because a new dishwasher, like the base level, is like 600 bucks. Just remember, if you own a house, everything has filters, even if you think it doesn't. Oh, your stove, your range hood probably has a filter too. Is that no parenting, quote unquote, handbook prepared me for the fact that my grown-ass husband would tattle on my three-year-old like literally he will seek me out and be like the kid spit in my face or the kid's not listening to me and then he just stands there expectantly and I'm just like and uh yeah so that's just my like I I'm like you're the adult in this situation like handle it and sometimes, yeah, like, there is this, there is this initial gut reaction to be like, I'll come handle it. But then I always think, like, well, if I was dead, he'd have to figure it out. So I'm just going to pretend to be dead right now. <laughs> like, Not it the out. average first response, but that's fine. Yeah. I was so, dead. So, yeah, just, just unexpected parenting things just I didn't expect the other parent to tattle and I'm sure in his mind he's not tattling he's just like relaying information but the way that he relays it just feels like if a 10 year old came to me and was like the three-year-old spit in my face <laughs> okay what do you want me to do about it yeah um on the other side my precious moment what is my precious moment this week it's not really a precious moment. It's more of like a humorous moment. That works. Uh, that, you know, you get like funny moments that in parenting that you're like, you know, this kind of makes it worth it too. We were having a barbecue with like a bunch of people, some friends and like some family. <laughs> and my son just pulled down his pants and peed in front of everyone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that was fun. Just did not care. He just whipped it right out and almost peed on my foot. And I was like, oh, gosh. But yeah, so that was kind of funny. 
Um, and he's just like, yeah, we're still learning to, you know, sometimes we just we go potty inside. <laughs> and it's not like you guys are camping people. So like he would be, oh, well, no. I pee outside sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's better than peeing on himself, I guess. That's true. My precious moment. So it's precious and also a little bit aggravating um, because I feel like that's parenthood summed up in like a sentence. <laughs> but uh, my daughter yeah. has started mothering my son, um, which in some ways is really cute because she's like, here's how we do this and here's how we do this. And she'll like read him little books, even though she doesn't know the words. She just has heard it so many times that she hasn't memorized. Um, And so the other day... I walk into the bathroom because I was like, hey, guys, we're going to go get in the tub. And I walk in and she's buck naked, taking off his shirt. And she's like, look, we're going to get in the bath. And she was like helping. And they are just giggling and giggling. They thought it was the funniest thing. And I just was like, they love each other so much. And then yesterday, my son all of a sudden runs up to my daughter and just like looks up at her because he's younger and just like stares at her. Like with this funny look on his face and they just bust it up and then he runs away and then he comes over and he gives her a big giant hug. And then he spent like probably 10 minutes running to my husband and giving him a hug and then to my daughter and giving her a hug and then to me and giving me a hug. Like randomly, I don't know. So it was really sweet. He's just sweeter than mm -hmm. I ever expected a little boy to ever be based on how people talk about them. All right, Shay, what's a book you've read to your kid recently that you like? The book I have is called Snakes in Space. That's amazing. By Catherine Dennis. Um, and it is a very, like, young reader book. But it's basically, like, these little illustrations. It's just five snakes that go to space. And at the end, one of them <laughs> runs away with an alien. <laughs> it's got fun colors, and it, like, is just bonkers. And I'm like, this is great. So sometimes we like to just read books that are fun and don't always have to have a lesson in them. Sometimes you get snakes <laughs> that run away with aliens. Oh, that's funny. Um, I have one as well. It's called A Pocket Full of Kisses. It's about a little raccoon family. And the first time I read this book, I started, started reading it to my daughter. And it says, Chester Raccoon sat in the hollow of a tree stump and pouted. Please, can we give him back? He asked his mother. I'll be really, really good. And Mrs. Raccoon, because her name is Mrs. Raccoon, which I hate, it should be Mama Raccoon, smiled and said, You're already really, really good, Chester, but I'm afraid no matter how good you are, we can't give him back. Besides, I thought you liked having a little brother. So it was this little guy, and um, it's really sweet. It's about the boundless love of a mom. But um, I read it to my daughter, and she was like, Yeah, Mom, can we give brother back? I want a sister instead. And I was like, No. We're not having a sister. Well, you never know. Nope. Full stop. <laughs> Close for business forever. Well, I wasn't saying that. I was like, he could be a sister. <laughs> I mean, technically, if if that Just happens. Day day, yeah. He could be. <laughs> um, hey, you never know. But that happened in my family. <laughs> that's true. So those books will be on our bookshop.org um, profile. So you can look them up there and see what they're like. We'll have the links in the show notes as well. Yes. Uh, okay, April, what grown-up book have you got for us today? Okay, so the book that we're discussing today is one of my top five all-time favorite books and has been for years. It's called The Red Tent by Anita Diamant. This book was published a while ago. It's not a like fancy new one. It's um, from 1997, so I was seven years old when this was published. Um, yeah, so here's your general spoiler alert. Um, we are now discussing the content of the Red Tent, and we will not apologize again. And <laughs> oh, is it so good? Okay, I love this book. I love this book so much. Um, yeah, it was and... a surprise. I feel like we got it at the same time. It was like one of those warehouse book sales where you could, like, if you filled a bag, you could buy the whole bag for like five bucks. Yes. And we both just picked it up and had no idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, the premise of it. So the premise of it is um, Dina. So the story of Jacob's only daughter in the Old Testament. And if you read 
pause now and read Jacob or sorry, Genesis chapter 34. Um, it's really interesting the difference. So I read it after Genesis 34 after I had read the rent tent, and it was so interesting to me the difference of how this story could be. So um, the red tent is basically Dina's story told from her perspective and the perspective of women instead of men. Love it. Um, yeah, which is something that I've been thinking a lot about recently is like women's voices in scripture or in like historical storytelling because we don't have a lot of like we don't have any women's voices in the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution. Like, how different would they be if women wrote it or at least helped write it instead? Maybe it would have been easier to read, honestly. Yeah. Well, maybe it would have included women and people of color and everyone aside from rich white landowning or people owning men. Probably would have also been a little less vague and been like, no, we got to I mean, straight to the point. Anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, this book was also made into a miniseries, uh, either on Stars or Showtime. And they, I think Rebecca Ferguson plays the lead. I watched it a long time ago. Oh, I need to look this, this up. It's interesting because Rebecca Fer- Ferguson is a white British lady. Oh. And she plays Dina, <laughs> who is Israelite. And ends up in Egypt. So, interesting casting choice, but, you know. Um, Back to the beginning. So, this book opens with Dina discussing the lack of availability and knowledge of her story, um, and therefore other women's stories. So, I have a couple quotes to read that I just, I just love. So, it says that she talks about how no one knows her story, and she says, it's not your fault. The chain connecting mother to daughter was broken, and the word passed to the keeping of men who had no way of knowing. That is why I became a footnote, my story a brief detour between the well-known history of my father, Jacob, and the celebrated chronicle of of Joseph, my brother. On those rare occasions when I was remembered, it was as a victim. Yeah, so, so it's this beautiful, like, hearkening back to the stories of women. Uh, she takes a really long time to actually show up as the main character of the story. I think I realized she's like, it's like 50 pages in before she actually makes an appearance, um, which makes sense in the context of like the history. Um, we don't in in today's writing world, it is like writing an entire backstory before you get to your main character is frowned upon now like you don't give a whole family history you start with your main character but if you look at like older books like in dickens era they would write like a whole family history um and in the bible they write a whole family history so i was like i just was last time i was reading through i was like she takes a long time to show up but it makes sense no yeah um and so so she begins with the story of her mother's so if you remember this biblical story um jacob ends up with four wives kind of two wives and two concubines plus i'm sure he gets more later on um but it begins with rachel meeting jacob at the well and he kisses her and she like freaks out and is so excited and madly in love runs back to camp where um where laban is and her sisters and she's like hey my cousin is coming and he loves me like we're getting married um and then jacob comes and meets laban well leah um makes eye contact with him and he doesn't look away so she's now in love with him because in the story she has different colored eyes and so most people would never like make eye contact they thought she was possessed or demonic or something because she had two different colored eyes and and he didn't and so she was like oh so then she makes a meal for him and she says i suffered over that meal like nothing else i had ever cooked Leia is also the most, like, Rachel is beautiful, but Leia is the most forward, and uh, lewd is how it's said in in this book, but she, 
Uh, Leia says, I knew how to please his mouth, I thought. I will know how to please the rest of him. So, you know, you get that, like, sexuality almost before, like, really early on. Because it's normal and natural and healthy. Then we meet Zilpa. Do you say it Zilpa? That's how I said it. Yeah. Um, I've always heard it. Um, so Zilpa talks a lot about being a priestess, but doesn't actually have the gift for it. So she makes, like, one correct prophecy and then everything else just kind of never really comes true but she does have lots of stories about heavenly beings the gods um and heavenly mother or a female deity is a big storyline running through the whole book and and that kind of begins with silpa um she was leia's dowry uh she doesn't like jacob but because he's more attractive than everyone else and he speaks really well so he's clearly somewhat educated and he's cute and she doesn't think that um she thinks that the relationship between her and leia specifically will change because of him and she doesn't like that i think she's a little bit in love with leia like i agree not just like not to slap a sexuality on her but she doesn't like jacob or men in general and she's yes. really attached to leia yes she is attached to leia both emotionally but like you said she's her dowry like she belongs to her um she's sort of leia's property you know under the um umbrella of the men who own leia like i don't know if it's like oh she leia like you know she was dragged into this and she was like i guess i'll just see what it's all about and then it's just like nope yeah not for me <laughs> yep pretty much and, and i think she like Sleeps with him once and is like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm done. Gets pregnant. And she's like, okay, I've delivered two sons. I'm done. I've done my duty. I don't know if it's like maybe because she comes with Leia and like she can't just be like a floating woman. So she just like married. I don't know. Well, I mean, technically she is Jacob's property at that point because she was the dowry for Leia. So for for the purpose of later being a concubine. So she's kind of a concubine. But she births her children on Leia's, so she's Leia's handmaid. Anyway, so Bilha is younger than everyone else. She's short, she's sweet, uh, very observant, and she kind of just watches everyone. And um, she's Rachel's dowry, so... But we don't really learn a lot about her. Her story is fairly quiet. So um, Bilha has one son. And then, um, and it's talked about kind of in the book, but basically Reuben follows her around like forever and is just in love and fascinated with her. And we find out later um, that they were caught sleeping together and killed. Because, I mean, she, yeah, you know. Because it's the Bible and despite everyone being like, the Bible is this word of God that teaches us how to love. So amazing. The Old Testament is just brutal. brutal. As we'll get into. Um, and then one of the other main characters is Laban. So Laban is the father with many different women um, of Rachel and Leah. And then owns... And the other two. Zopa and Bilha oh, are daughters right. of, of slaves. His yeah. slaves. Yeah. Um, he, he hates... Everyone hates him. So he's molesting girls. Um, they t the ladies tell stories about how he would like touch them and then Ada his first wife like beats him up and threatens to leave him and crush him and etc and so he doesn't do that anymore um which honestly I mean I feel like that's the only reasonable reaction and then to actually leave but in ancient Israelite times you couldn't because you're a woman um, but Laban dislikes everyone too. And he beats his wives and he hates Jacob because Jacob is attractive and, you Young. know, the up and coming and he's old. Um, he like gambles a lot. And so he gets Ruti, who is a, a slave, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he buys her from gambling. So she's his property, but more so than women typically are in that time. And then once the wives begin bearing children, so they all get married um, I think that's a pretty common story. Leia marries Jacob first, and he says he's tricked. But, you know, in this story, at least, 
it's not really a trick because how could you possibly not know? I think she shortens the timeline in this, right? In the Bible, it's like seven years and then seven more years. And I don't think it lasts that long in the in her books. She's just, I guess in the Bible, it sort of says like he works seven years and then gets the girl. But I think in the book, she sort of says like he gets the girl and has to work seven years to pay for her is right. how it sort of gets rewritten. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Reuben's born. So Leah bears a son which is a big status symbol. And then her mother, Ada, dies, and Jacob becomes the patriarch, really, although Laban still thinks he is, but he's just mean and old and bitter. Um, but Jacob's the one doing the work. So he's um, he is raising the sheep and the goats and putting them to pasture and multiplying the flock. And uh, things go really well. But one thing that I really loved about this story is that she says um things went well yeah because jacob was good and god is good but also because the women were really hard workers it says my mother's labors accounted for much of it while sheep and goats are a sign of wealth their full value is realized only in the husbandry of women leah's cheeses never soured um you know their knitting their weaving was perfect and they are a large reason why um, new wealth was brought in um, and then the other thing that happens at this time is Rachel gets pregnant and then keeps um, keeps losing babies so he, she gets pregnant with the girls we learn later on that they were all girls um, and she loses them and then Leah keeps having babies and so now Jacob has 10 sons and Rachel's bitter because she doesn't have any children and certainly not any sons and Leah just keeps pumping them out. And that's how Bilha ends up marrying Laban is because Rachel's like, I want babies. Bilha, yes. marry my husband and I'll have. But then she like can't take Bilha's baby. <laughs> she's like, I know. She's like, oh, this is my baby. And then she holds it and sees Bilha's face and is like, I can't take your baby from you. <laughs> yeah. And and it's really sweet. But um, you know, so much of this part of the story talks about women's worth and they discuss it is women's worth tied to the bearing of children um specifically sons because patriarchy it's i think it's it's when you were doing giving that quote about um you know all of this stuff all of their wealth comes from the work of women it just made me think of like all of the invisible work that women do so that men can succeed and thrive that, I mean, we still see it today, right? Like, men, they're, like, CEOs and running all these companies. And, like, nobody is paying attention to their wives running things at home. You know, if they have children, you know, taking the brunt of that or... Changing all the filters. Or they're, like, this man owns a company. And it's, like, I'm sure his wife does a lot. Like, I mean, even in my own family, my dad had a wood shop. And my mom was running errands for him constantly. He'd be like, I needed to drive to Idaho Falls. You can go pick up a shipment of wood or like, and that like, he could have just gone and done it himself, but it's like the efficiency wouldn't have been the same. Um, right. And it's all these things that like women do and this like get pushed to the side and the men get all of the credit for it. And we see it again and again through history. Like Albert Einstein's wife was just as brilliant as he was. And and she never got credit for it. What? Mm-hmm. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. But oh my gosh, why, do, why don't we learn about these things? We need more resources. I know. I mean, Marie Curie could have been in the same boat. But her husband, like, lifted her up. Um, and would always be like, oh, actually, Marie was the one who did this. And Marie was, like, part of this. Um, but like we never know about Albert Einstein's wife <laughs> because he just like not to say that Albert Einstein's not great. He, I mean, he was also monumental in the civil rights movement, but like every you, yeah, we can't, you know, put a put on a pedestal all of the greats. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that's one of the hardest things for me is I look at like all the stories of the greats and I'm like, yeah, but what about the women? What about the women? 
Like, they're amazing women. Women discovered things just as early as men did. Women wrote manifestos at the same time and got beheaded in France just like the men did. Anyway. And yet, yeah. they're still, like, even women who, like, do very powerful things, they're always like, babies. Did you did you have babies? Like, if you can be a mother and a CEO, then, like, suddenly you're an amazing CEO. Otherwise, you're just a CEO. But they're like... Oh, you did it. Otherwise, you're a selfish CEO because you don't have children. And so they're like, well, have you thought? And like women who get into politics, they're like, well, are you going to be a mom? Like women who have children are trusted more, but not. Yeah, it's probably how What's-Her-Face became the head of the Department of Education, even though she had no education. Yeah, women with children are trusted more, but also penalized more for having children. So anyway, we move past the bearing of children at this point. We're still waiting for Dina and Joseph, who were born about the same time. Um, and Jacob, we we learned that Jacob has started teaching the boys about the God of his fathers, El, a single male God. Um, and there are no girls. So the stories of the mothers go away and don't really get followed or learned. Um and then Rachel starts to do more and more with the midwife, Ina, because a barren women need something to do uh, while they're waiting for children. Become a CEO. Become a CEO, but you're selfish if you do without kids and don't have plans to have kids. Anyway, so Rachel is just really tired. And Leia is like now taking birth control because she she's had 10 sons. She's like, I've done my duty. Like, I no thanks. I'm done. I've had a lot of children right back to back and my body is tired. And as this is happening, Ruti, so Laban's wife that he won gambling, um, comes to Rachel and the sisters about having an abortion. Um, She basically begs Rachel to give her the medicine that she needs to no longer be pregnant because she's not interested in having a child by Laban. Um, And I believe she'd already had two children. I think Rudy is an interesting choice to put in because everyone is awful to her. Like, even the other wives, like, also stigmatize her. And I I feel like this calls to the stigma of abuse in in current times, right? Like, there's still this, like, women who are abused sort of get the stigma. And, like, even other women tend to... um, tend to shrivel away from that and it's really hard I, I don't know exactly why that is I'm sure a, sociolog- a sociologist could tell us you know maybe it's we don't like seeing a situation that we could potentially be in ourselves yeah. um, right but there's just sometimes it's just luck of the draw of how you end up and then like they kind of blame her for how Laban treats her even though deep down they know that it's definitely not her Um, so so in the book it says Ruti said nothing but her blackened eyes and her bruises reproached them no older than Leia Ruti had grown haggard in their midst after the birth of her sons Laban had treated her well the tight-fisted goat had even bought her bangles to brighten her wrists and ankles but then she gave off bearing and he began to hit her and call her name so ugly my mothers would not repeat them to me it says for all their pity Jacob's wives did not embrace Ruti she was the mother of their son's rivals, their material enemy. Even her own sons laughed at her and treated her like a dog. When she came to Rachel, desperate for help, she seemed more of a ghost than a woman. So um, they decide to to help Ruti um, in the red tent at the next full moon. So one of the, I mean, it's called the red tent. So the red tent is a pretty big deal. Basically, in ancient Israel, and in the Bible, there are rules about a woman's cleanliness um, when she's on her period and after. So they have to, uh, like, leave the men and go into what's called the red tent for a certain number of days every month. What's interesting is they all do it at the same time. When women are on their period now, I'm guessing because we don't live in sex proximity, our cycles are all different. But, like, when we lived in the house together in college... Our cycles all kind of lined up. Yeah, it's a myth that doesn't technically have any scientific backup. Interesting. It is. It's basically 
uh, an event that is completely anecdotal. Um, they've done studies on it, and like the studies show no scientific backup for it. But like every woman, like every household of women will anecdotally tell you. But I think it also comes down to like how we um, are talking about cycles, right? Like not necessarily everyone starts on the same day, like even when your cycles overlap. So I think that's a lot of where these anecdotal stories are coming. But if you're in a house of eight girls, chances are half of you are going to be on your period at any given time. So it yeah. probably just feels like that. Um, I mean, yeah, there's the, the myth of like, we all sink to the alpha female and not to toot my own horn, but mine never I was going to say, I was the alpha female. I mean, we I, all know. Mine never shifted. It was always the same. But like other roommates have said like, oh, mine's changing and it must be, we must be sinking cycles. And I was like, mine has always been the same. Hmm. but at least in this book everyone has their period like at the same time which is yes. interesting um and it's like a certain time of the month every month it's like in the dark of the moon or the new moon or something and it's definitely some magical thinking happening i think is oh, what's yeah. happening oh yeah some but, creative license yes so the women all enter the red tent and they're all together in these times um and so they like basically get to just relax and they deal with the menstrual pains and stuff um and feminism now has us working through it (laughs) i would much rather lay back and eat treats and not have to deal with my children (laughs) damn those feminists (laughs) um down with the patriarchy um anyway so it's just really interesting so it's in the this red tent in these days and weeks when dina is with her mothers um she calls them all her mothers and aunties um that she learns all of these stories that she's told the story of rachel and leah and bilha and zilpa and these women tell them tell her about themselves so you know the red tent is really this sacred space of um womanhood and true honesty between the women and i mean there are competitions there because you know rachel's barren and leah's prolific and you know there's still that going on but it's it's a sacred place and so what they decide to do is to help ruti have an abortion um and so rachel will give her herbs and things to start that um and then it becomes very clear to everyone in the tent that she is not. It's not abnormal. Um, that this is not normal. She Rachel is not trying to save the baby. Um, and that this is something that is being done on purpose. Right now, in our political climate in the U.S., um, this is a huge deal. Like women's rights to their bodies and to when they are and aren't having children. And I have so much to say about it. And I just like can't even find the words to start i guess that it has always been a problem it's always been a point of contention but there's also this modern idea that that abortions have always been a bad thing and that we've always sort of seen them as like against god and all of this stuff but historically all of the records show quite the opposite I mean, Benjamin Franklin wrote like a recipe book and in it there are recipes for abortifortions. Um, abortion has always sort of been one of those like gray areas of legality in the U.S. So it sort of started out during colonial times as like it was placed, it was made illegal as a protection for women actually um, to protect them from predatory abortionists who like would claim to be abortionists but they were like they basically were slaughterers you know it'd be guys selling snake oil and being like i can perform an abortion but they had absolutely no idea what they were doing and so those laws actually came into place to stop those abortionists like those specific abortionists um and they tended to be men um but around that time also anything that had to do with the uterus and women's bodies was in the hands of women and midwives. And so, like, it was generally handled by by midwives. And so, like, really, it, the illegality of it 
only really affected men, male physicians. Um, that's in air quotes if you are listening, um, because you could become a physician by like reading a pamphlet back then. Um, and so it hasn't always been in the league, and it was always a really common practice throughout all of history, through every culture. Um, and it really didn't start to become illegal until we got the rise of like puritanical the evangelical. Yeah. And like not even pre-evangelical, but like puritanical, like Comstock. Y'all have to look him up. I think his name was Anthony Comstock. And he uh hated sex and hated fun. Oh, uh, I need to read about him. I'm pretty sure he hated women. Well, um, obviously. <laughs> uh, and he also, he was the one that was like, it's illegal to sell birth control through the mail. It's illegal, right? Like, and really started, once we started essentially having men take control of everything physical, that's when it really started to become. And then it really wasn't like a religious issue or tied to a religious issue or like any sort of moral issue until probably the 1900s or like even i would say i, I can't post quite world war ii i maybe i think a little bit before then but it was definitely like with by the 50s and 60s was when it started to become tied to morality and become a moral claim but before that it never had been um, oh i know what it was it was as we started during the sort of golden age of immigration, there started to be this fear that white, and at that time, white is basically anyone that is of British or like French or descent, like, and or like Dutch descent in America and had been there for several generations. Italians were not considered white. Uh, I think Spaniards weren't considered white. I think, I mean, Germans were also... The Irish were not. Germans and Russians correct. were all, like, the Irish were not. So we're talking, like, two groups of people were, like, afraid that the immigrants were going to take over. Um, and, yeah, and that's really when it started. So we're we're talking, like, around the turn of the 20th century is when it really started to become a, a moral issue. But even then, it didn't really ramp up to becoming a moral issue until, like, the 50s and 60s. And, like, Rudy's so miserable. And, like, we think, like, oh, well, like, I don't know, just this morality of, like, we got to protect all the life. and But not the mom's lives. Like, let's be real. It's not about, it's about controlling women's bodies. Because if you are actually pro-life, um, and, and I am pro-choice. So if we were really pro-life, we would be protecting all the lives you'd be taking protecting the immigrants lives we would be protecting the um mother's lives the because single mothers are like the biggest group of poverty and it, it never changes you it's like impossible to get out of poverty if you are a single mom without any other you know external force it's so difficult so like and after um so after abortions became legal which i thought they were illegal this is me growing up in wyoming in a mormon culture i thought that abortions were illegal <laughs> um like all growing up i just like assumed they were illegal they aren't uh, well they weren't weren't um but after that uh women's suicide rates went down um i think there were some other things that also happened very closely like no fault divorce so after no-fault divorce and legality of abortion, um, women's suicide rates just, like, dropped. Wait, so you're saying once women were in charge of their lives and their bodies, mm -hmm. they were, like, less likely to commit suicide? Weird. Yeah. Or murder their husbands. Um, husbands also lived longer, too. <laughs> <laughs> women's right. Abortion can save your husband's life. <laughs> Um, yeah, Roe v. Wade was not a free-for-all on abortion, regardless of whatever the um, evangelical white thought. You couldn't it make a It wasn't Oprah being like, you get an abortion and you get an abortion. <laughs> There's just so much wrapped up in this talk of, like, women's abortion and, like, whether or not it's traditional and what whether or not it's good or it's right. And it's like, whatever you think, it's not your decision. <laughs> like my it, body my rules 
And it's like, we also, everyone's like, well, if you support abortion, that means you would get one. It's like, I don't like mushrooms. Doesn't mean that I don't think anyone should have mushrooms or like, I don't want to be an engineer, but I don't think that means that no other woman should get to be an engineer. <laughs> I support well, other women becoming engineers, even if I don't want to be one. So, um, so yeah. So after Ruti's abortion, Leia gets pregnant. She goes to Rachel and is like, I cannot have another baby. And Rachel says, don't you dare. It is a girl. And we are, we all want a daughter. So you better have this baby. And um, I love after the talk of abortion, we're like, she's like, you have to have this baby. I'm like, yes, you have to have the baby. <laughs> after like, don't have babies if you don't want them, but also have this one. Right. Because this one was a girl and they all needed a girl and nobody was going to have a girl. Um, but Leia was super scared because all of Rachel's miscarriages had been girls. So she was like really worried. But she gives birth to Dina. And then shortly after, um, Rachel gets pregnant with Joseph. So we have these two, uh, they call them milk siblings, right? Um, and so Rachel and Leah have these two children very close. Um, and Rachel gets super, super sick. So Leah nurses Joseph. So Dina and Joseph grow up really close. Um, Would you have nursed a friend's baby? Potentially. I mean, not like, you know, all the time, but like, yeah, I vaguely remember this happening with my aunt, with my mom and my godmother who had kids six months apart. Yeah. And like we were driving somewhere and my mom, you know, her kid was crying and my mom was like, I mean, I'm back here. And they're like, okay. I mean, yeah, there are very few people who I would offer that to. Like you and our other friend. And that's pretty much yeah. it. Like I, I wouldn't just like offer that. But yeah, I mean, whatever. That's fine. I know. Some you guys are like, like my sisters. Yeah. And it's milk. It's like drinking from the same cow. Let's be real. It's fine. It's just a water um, fountain. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's there anyway. It's a public water fountain. Anyone can have a share. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's a public water fountain, but anyway, um, so Joseph and Dina grew up together. Now, this is where the story kind of flips and starts talking to Dina's story um, and how she grew up and how she left Canaan. So um, Dina is growing up. The older boys are super difficult. Ruben is chasing around Bilha because he's madly in love with her. Who knows how early they get started? Um but, yeah, so Jacob finally, as Dina is growing up, Jacob finally gets permission to leave Laban. And Jacob is in, like, his 40s, so it's been, like, 20 years. Um, he's been working the flocks and raising dogs to herd the flocks. And he basically tricks Laban into giving him the hardiest goats and sheep. Rachel um, ends up stealing the teraphim. So in that time, um, a lot of families had, like, statues of gods um even still now sometimes but they had like these god statues and so rachel steals them from laban um they're laban's gods the women's gods um because the women don't worship el um like jacob does <clears throat> so they steal their gods because they're now leaving their homeland and they're like these are coming with us these are ours um, Rachel and Leah form a truce and Dina is like very surprised to see them together with Jacob talking because this is like super foreign concept for them. <clears throat> Laban confronts them about stealing his gods and he ends up having to like search everything and then he goes into the red tent, which is like super taboo for a man to be in there and Rachel admits to stealing them and then says they are bathed in her menstrual blood so he won't touch them because they're unclean and she's like sure dad take them I have covered them in my menstrual like it's this big old f you to her nasty angry bitter old dad and in like the most Rachel way possible like stubborn and she was like yes i'm beautiful but also i'm kind of a bitch and we like that about her um jacob starts like losing his mind he's freaking out about seeing esau again um 
because he stole his inheritance and was like, this is mine, bye. Um, and so that fear kind of spreads throughout his family. So um, they cross this big river. Jacob stays behind in this clearing. And then we find out that he was like attacked, like brutally attacked. We don't know how, but maybe it was like by a spirit or something is the story. Um, and then he recovers. Jacob and Esau meet. They fall upon each other weeping. They've forgiven each other. And Dina meets Tabea, Tabia. Tabby? Tabea, probably. Tabea. Um, so Tabea is her cousin and a girl her age, and they're like best buddies immediately. And then they meet Rebecca. Rebecca is like this high priestess at Mamre. She's kind of a bitch. Like, not yeah. necessarily in a good way. She's she's mean. She's not a bitch. Mm-hmm. She's mean. Um, so she freaks out about the way Tabea, um, is treated during her first period. She, Tabea's like put out alone and it's like really shameful. And they're like, we don't talk to you. Go away from us. I think, yeah, I think Tabea's mom is like from a different tribe. So has different, yeah, Mm -hmm. has different rituals and. Right. They went with her ritual rather than. Rebecca's. And so Rebecca was really mad because she told the mother, like, this is how we do it in our family. And um, Tabea's mother was like, I'm doing it my way. And so anyway, Rebecca, like, gets really angry at the mother. And the mother ends up packing uh, Tabea off in the middle of the night. And she's, like, never seen again. And Dina hates Rebecca, who she calls the grandmother. Um, And then Leah pulls Dina aside and says... Let me tell you some things like you can hate her, but it's not really like it's not really fair. You don't understand. And so they she teaches her about the way that the women of this tribe give their blood back to the earth, which she's going to find out shortly because she gets her period. Um, So Dina ends up staying with Rebecca for a few months. Doesn't like it. She's sent away because she's not cut out to be high priestess um, and she's super relieved about it. And then Jacob and his retinue move to Shechem. Is that how you say it? Shechem. Shechem? Shechem? I don't know. No. I assume. I, from what I little know, I know about Hebrew and Arabic, that would probably be a k sound. Okay. So Shechem. Like Kala. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Simon and Levi dislike the leader of Shechem early on, even though their family does really well there. Um, And so that kind of starts the devolving of this whole time in Shechem. So Dina starts going through puberty, exploring her body, realizing things are changing, um, realizing something's going on there in the tents between the men and the women, um, is caught listening in as her brother and his wife get on um and is like ooh getting kind of hot and bothered and the midwife is like oh yeah your time is coming go away um and like holds her off by the ear or something um and so then Dina gets her period so she goes through the ritual the way that Rebecca has said she should um they give the blood back to the earth. And then one of the new wives, so one of the wives of the sons, freaks out and is like, they're worshiping demons, basically goes to Jacob and is like, this is awful. Like, it's terrible. And Jacob is get gets really mad and takes the teraphim and destroys them. So he like throws them on the ground, beats them up and breaks some shatters of memory. And then he starts disliking the red tent. There's this story of like how we initiate girls and young women into like being a woman. Um, specifically, we do it in our society as like men. Once you menstruate, then you're a woman, right? You can have babies now, so you're an adult. Not really, but which is you know. wild because like most people get that at like 13 now. So I know. No, you're still a girl. You're still a girl, and you still should not have children until you're much older. Um, so now that she's like a woman, Rachel and Ina start bringing her with them on midwife trips. Um, and they end up going to the palace in Shechem. She- Shechem. 
and Dina meets Shalem. And it is love at first sight. You get this meet cute where they have this like look. He's a an Egyptian prince. prince. Yeah. So they they meet, they share these looks, and they're basically engaged, um, which is kind of interesting. But basically, his mom he, like, sets them up. Yeah, and he he looks at her, and she looks back, and she's like, "Ooh," and then he's like, "Hey," and then they know they're in love. So he tells his mom, and it's this whole thing, and she calls Dina back through the. Um, person who just gave birth at the palace and they have a meet cute again and then he basically like takes her to his bed and they make love and they consummate the marriage themselves <laughs> yes um and so he's like madly in love um madly in love with her she's madly in love with him shalem goes to his father and he says go to jacob pay the bride price like the dowry i love this woman she's mine like i want her to be my wife and so the dad goes, sure, let's do it. So he goes to Jacob. He brings all this stuff. Um, and Jacob's like, what? No, you can't. You can't do that. And um, so they try again. And Shalem goes too. And Joseph. So and then Jacob's like, I need to think about this. So he's with all of his sons in like a circle basically council and levi and simon of course are like super anti they're like they ruined her they need to pay for this whatever and joseph's like yeah i can't believe like our sister was defiled by these uncircumcised men and like just have them become circumcised and jacob's like oh yeah that's a good idea let's have all these adult men get so so Jacob goes to these men and is like, and I think this is actually in the biblical text too, is that he says, you need to circumcise the men in your city and then you can have my daughter. So basically part of her dowry is a bunch of foreskins. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Woo. I love getting foreskins on my wedding. <laughs> you need a you gift did. for your daughter's wedding? How about some foreskins? <laughs> Jacob is selling his daughter and all these boys' sister for foreskin, basically, and converting to the god of El. And forgive the riches. Like, we don't need the riches. Just give us pieces of your body and and you can have my property. Well, I'll sell my property to you. To the Israel I mean, they are Israelites at the moment at that point, but like, you know, that's also part of their devotion to God is circumcision is a ritual. Right, the women have their blood ritual. The men, part of their, ritual, their blood ritual, being a man, is taking their foreskin off, um, and like also with cleanliness. At this time, you know, ba- bathing and baths were not Common. were not as yeah. So it's like yes, it was also a cleanliness, like physically a cleanliness thing to do because we don't take baths every day, and they're like, this was show us your devotion to us and our daughter and that this is a symbol of that if you're willing to to give of yourself not only of yourself but also of all the people in your city like then we'll give you our daughter Mm -hmm. and you know it's so interesting because this this showcases women as property and don't we still do this by requiring a man to ask another woman's father for her hand? I mean, my dad was like that. I mean, my husband I, did it out of respect for my dad, but I was like, right, I don't but care. But that's Dude. gross. Like, I don't belong to my father. I belong to myself. And getting a blessing of being like, hey, we're going to get married, just so you know. And then being like, that sounds like a great idea. That's one thing. But being like, can I please marry your daughter? So Simon and Levi, after they say, yes, we're going to cut off our foreskins, they go into the city when all the men are like laying down in a lot of pain because they just cut off part of their body. So Simon and Levi sneak into the city and kill every single man and get Dina and drag her back home. So now they have paid for their property of Dina, the men of Shechem, Shechem. But 
Simon and Levi hate them so much that they're going to kill them all and drag her back to their home. And she's like, wakes up like drowning in their blood, in her husband's blood. And she's like, what? And so she ends up running away and she just like curses them all. She's like, I curse you to painful deaths and to be forgotten and all this stuff. Um... And it says in here that the reason Jacob changed his name to Israel is so that people wouldn't remember what happened and, like, blame Jacob. Um, and so he could run away from that legacy, which I think is an interesting, like, perspective. Because yeah, it, it puts is... all the power into Dina's. a woman. Right. Yeah, like, and, and I kind of like that. I'm like, hmm, that is kind of suspect timing, isn't it? I mean, it fits in the story of the world right like a woman created the fall right or gets blamed for the fall which yep that's a story we, for another time other, that's another time but the woman gets blamed for the fall and they're like women are weak and all this like a woman literally made the earth happen <laughs> and it's like we say like women are weak and have no power but it's like we can create and we can also destroy you if you're not careful, but nobody gives credit for that. And then, so essentially we can read from this, like, this is the real story and the biblical story is from the men's perspective. And they can't, they can't possibly admit that they're doing this because of a little girl. Right. So, so yeah, she runs away. She goes to back to the city and is basically whisked away by Shalem's mother and bodyguard. And they go to Egypt. Um, she's pregnant with her son um, and they go to Egypt and they live with her mother-in-law's brother for like a really long time. She has a baby. So she's in labor and she's getting close to the point where she's like, I can't do this anymore. So she asks one of the people at the birth for a knife and basically like, what's that called again? When you like make a cut, episiotomy. So she basically gives herself an episiotomy because she learned it from Rachel and Ina. And then she, like, the midwife is like, whoa. And then she, like, has a baby and falls over and it's like, it's over. But but the midwife is like, dude, you're badass. So she, like, already is like, oh, you have a lot more to teach. And so starts asking her, like, will you come and help me at this birth? And she's like, no. So for years, Dina doesn't go anywhere she stays in like this garden shed where she lives on the property of her mother-in-law's brother and then just never never leaves so when her son is weaned and at nine he goes off to school and so dina starts making more friends with the midwife she comes over she says oh how would you have done this and so she kind of starts teaching the midwife even though she doesn't try like she's like no i'm not going but then um, the midwife like convinces her one night, like you need to help me because I don't know how to do this. And so she starts going to the rich women's houses and delivering their babies. And so they pay her and like jewelry and all of those things and not $10,000 to be in a hospital and give birth to a baby. It's like, here's a really awesome, beautiful necklace. Thanks. So Dina goes to the market with her um, midwife friend Merritt and they meet Benya in the market and it's another one of those one look thing like they look at each other and they're like oh yeah you're my person and then she goes home and like tries to forget about him and it's like nope um a birth goes wrong a girl who is too young to have gotten pregnant gets pregnant um and they both die dina and Merritt try to um do a c-section to at least get the baby out and that baby dies so the priest who was using this girl as a concubine like freaks out and calls them witches and she curses him and he ends up not being able to speak. And so there's huge backlash. So the rich people no longer call on them because she might be a witch. And she moves in with the midwife um, in the Valley of Kings where her son lives. And then Benia comes knocking. They fall in love. Um, eventually she is called on to... Um, help birth the son of joseph her brother who is going by another she isn't sure that it's him. she doesn't know it's him because if you review the bible and you'll know the story of how joseph gets there joseph and the many colored coat right 
I want to say that I was going to say the many colored dream coat. Rain, rainbow colored dream coat, many colored. No, I think it is the many colored dream coat. Anyway, so Joseph is like in his high and mighty. She goes, helps deliver the baby. She's resting because she gets sick. And this servant is like telling her the story of her owner as Naf, Naparapt something or other. Zafnaponea or something. Zafna. Zafna. Panea. Zafna Panea. Panea. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Panea. Um, and Dina is like, oh my God, that's my brother. And so her son comes in and is like, Mom, are you okay? And she's like, Joseph. And he's like, what? And she's like, like kind of still out of it. So he goes to Zafanat and he says, Joseph. And then Joseph tells him his whole story because he's terrified that he just found him out and he's just a lowly Canaanite anyway so they meet Joseph is like sister and Dina is like I don't want to have anything to do with you so she eventually Joseph comes to her at her home in the Valley of Kings and is like our father is dying we need to go say goodbye and she's like uh-uh no we don't and he's like yes we do you need to come with me like I'm gonna make you so she ends up going with her husband Benia and they go to Canaan to see their father before he dies. But she like hangs back and isn't really recognized by anyone. And Joseph is like, I love you. And finds, you know, he has a younger brother and um, her moms are all dead. And so there's a lot of death. Um, she's recognized by is Judah. Because in the Bible story, the family shows up in Israel, right? And this is the beginning of the Israelites in Egypt. Well, oh, maybe they're not in Canaan, but they are somewhere. Yeah. They're somewhere nearby. And so, um, anyway, so they go, they visit. Um, everyone's dead. Like, all the moms are dead. But Judah's like, here's Rachel's ring. Your mother wanted me to give it to you. And she's like, what? So, um, anyway, she goes back to the Valley of Kings, kind of starts telling her story. She gets paralyzed and dies surrounded by the people who love her. And then she talks about what immortality is, which is being remembered. Yeah. In the yeah. TV show... I believe they extend it a little bit and like flesh it out. Um, but in the TV show, she and Joseph kind of rekindle their relationship. Um, and she's sort of there and helps him. I think if I'm remembering correctly, she actually helps him connive the plan of like tricking their family, you know, where he like, in the biblical story where they show up and he's like i'm not your brother or like he pretends that he's not their brother because they all don't recognize each other and they come and are like we're starving and that whole story and she's actually part of that plan hmm. uh, i don't remember if she like sees her dad again but she like they they aren't like she's aloof to him but they do have more contact in the in the show yeah interesting and joseph plays a bigger part yeah. Yeah. In the Red Ten, it really describes like her curse on them and what happens um, kind of part before she even goes to Egypt. And it's just interesting to like look at that and then see the difference between that and the biblical story, which isn't really there at that point. Um, but yeah, so this is like one of my favorite books. Um, and one of the reasons that we haven't talked about already is the eminence of a feminine divine and how that being kind of leads through and is really connected to the women um, and how they worship that. And, and it's something that I have really been needing in my life recently. So like rereading through this, I was like, oh, yeah, like I'm not crazy. Like a feminine divine has been worshipped for centuries. Anyway. Yeah. So that was The Red Tent. It is a really beautiful written book. I was like, when I was reading, I was like, wow, not a, like, nothing really happens for a very long time. <laughs> like, it is not a plot driven book. No. Um, but it is so beautifully written and, like, it, it's told very oral tradition, uh, you know, like storytelling kind of way. Because, um, yeah, so I'm like, it is. But it's like I still wanted to read like the next page and all the stuff. So it is a very like beautiful book that really focuses on 
the power of women and womanhood and I I love stories that bring to light like lesser known individuals from history or like yeah all of those all those things yeah one of the things that um Anita Diamond says is that she did this in the the spirit of midrash which is like reading between the lines of the text um and so i really liked that is like there's so much story there um in our religious and historical figures and history um there's there's room for wondering how these things could have happened and and there are no women's stories told from the perspective of women or at least hardly any um that really especially from the bible yeah so um what i've learned recently is the catholic bible the um new revised standard version actually has like several books of women not just ruth and esther so the lds church which is what i grew up in and what april grew up around uses the king james version and like the king james version so we don't have any updated language from the 17th century uh and king james was a huge misogynist and hated witches there are a lot of issues with that version of the bible uh so yeah so i mean he got a lot of biblical scholars and they came together and made the bible and And it was more accessible to people and they left because it wasn't in latin i mean everyone's like the bible not everyone but you know christians are like the bible's written by god and it's like no no. it's written by a bunch of dudes uh, on a bunch of different pieces of paper scattered throughout and centuries. Then, and then, like, came. edited by a bunch of other dudes yeah. through centuries of translations, etc. In the NRSV and in the more newer, the newer translations, um, they go back to the fact that Hebrew is very gender inclusive. And there's a lot more gender inclusive language instead of exclusively male language. Um, or like the man, man, man is people or humans. Um, so anyway, just a plug for, and then I don't have to translate the Bible twice into my brain and then to my children if I ever decide to read it out loud, which sometimes we do, but not very often. All right. So this has been The Rent by Anita Diamond. Um, we have it on our bookshop.org list. So go ahead and you can find it there if you want to read it. Um, it is really amazing. Still probably one of my top five. Um, or, um, find us online. And we are on Instagram and Twitter and threads. And YouTube. And, and YouTube. Come find us. Um, rate and subscribe so other people who are cool like you can listen to us. And if you don't like us, don't rate or subscribe. Just leave us alone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. What do we, how do we say it in America?